Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good evening. Glad to see you all. My name is Eric. If you're one of the pastors here, again, just welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're wrapping up our series, Our Imperfect Family. We've been talking that no family's perfect, and we've been looking at uh, this family of Jacob and how he definitely does not have a perfect family. We've been walking through the book of Genesis since last fall. We love books of the Bible here at Mosaic. Because it kind of shapes us as a community as we walk through the book of Genesis or the book of John or Ruth or whatever that might be. So we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 32, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there. But tonight's message uh, is called Wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. When I went into high school, um, I came out of middle school as a short chubby kid. That's just no other way to say it. And uh, then I grew like six inches between eighth and ninth grade. And so I wasn't quite so chubby, but it was like, okay, now I got to try out a new sport. I'd been a soccer player for a number of years and played that in the fall. But then in the winter, I knew I'm still not tall enough to be a basketball player. So I'm going to try wrestling. I'd never done wrestling before, but tried it my freshman year. And that was an experience. That was different for me. I didn't have any brothers. So wearing a small little singlet and getting sweaty with other guys was kind of a whole new experience for me, but it was fun. So then my sophomore year, did it again and, and joined the wrestling team and was one of the uh, captains on that team as a sophomore and ended up being most improved player and it was just really fun. But one of the things I learned about wrestling was that there's times when you're wrestling someone that you've got to hold on and not let go. You, you're taking down your opponent, and you're going to hold them, and you're going to try to pin them and not let go. But there's other times when you have to learn to let go. I was in the section championship wrestling, uh, actually someone from Osseo High School. I went to a small Christian school, and we wrestled against the Osseo. And there was this one kid who I was wrestling, and um, no matter what, I could not pin this kid. And I, I could take him down, but I couldn't pin him. And so finally one of the uh, older kids on the team was like, Eric, just let him up and just take him down. And then let him up and take him down. If you don't know, a takedown's worth two points and escape is worth one point. So that was just my strategy then. Like the rest of the time, I could not pin this kid. He was really uh, wiry and just could get out of any hold I had. So I'd just shoot, take him down, get the two points, let him up, he'd get a point. Shoot, take him down, two points. And, and I ended up winning that match that way. But in wrestling... Like life, there's times you have to just hold on and not let go. And then there's times you have to learn to let go and, you know, figure out a new strategy. I think that's the same for all of our lives. When do we know when to keep holding on and when is it time to let go and try something different? We've been looking at this life of this guy, Jacob, for the last several weeks and again, Jacob is not a perfect guy. And I love that if God can use Jacob, then there's hope for people like me and you and all of us. And this morning, we're going to see the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Maybe tonight you're wrestling with something. Maybe there's a decision or just something in your life and you're just kind of feeling this heaviness or just this thing that you're wrestling with. Maybe there's some news you got and you're wrestling with that news. 
But this is also, this isn't the first time we've seen Jacob wrestle with someone. Before Jacob was even born, he wrestled with his twin brother inside his mom's womb. A picture of Jacob's mom, Rebecca. She's going to her 20-week ultrasound, right? And the ultrasound text like, hey, surprise, it's twins. And the twins are wrestling inside of you. And Esau comes out first, and he's red and hairy. And then his brother Jacob is born, holding on to the heel of his brother. So he gets this name Jacob, which literally means heel grabber or deceiver. And as they grow up, Jacob deceives his twin brother, and he steals his blind old dad's blessing. And then he, he runs away by pretending, uh, after he pretends to be Esau. And Esau's twin brother, he's pretty ticked off, rightfully so. He wants to kill his brother. So Jacob has been on the run now for about 20 years. And after 20 years of being on the run, God tells Jacob, hey man, it's time to kind of man up. You've been in this dysfunctional relationship with your father-in-law. It's time to put up some family boundaries. Maybe some of you, that's what you need to do tonight, is just to set some family boundaries. It's time to leave your father-in-law, who's not a good guy, and you need to get back home. So after 20 years of being away from his twin brother, it's time to head back home. And, uh, and on his way to do that, he ends up wrestling with God. Now, maybe if you grew up in church, you've heard this story of Jacob wrestling with God. So like, when you think about that, like, how old do you think of Jacob in your mind? Maybe like a young man, like 20-something? Well, the reality is he's probably right around that age of 80. <laughs> and so we're going to see his hip goes out of joint. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, the fact that he's about 80 years old, um, because he's old, he's seen some things, he's been through some things, there's been some miles on those old bones. But all of Jacob's life, he's been trying to grasp on to something. He's been grasping and grabbing for wealth or status or power, and that's really made a wreck of his life. But now, God's going to grab hold of him. And that's what happens when grace comes into our life. Grace grips us and grabs a hold of us. It says, hey, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to change your life. And Jacob overcomes great conflict to finally get what he's needed all along, but didn't know what he really needed all along. And you'll see what I mean. But after 20 years of avoiding conflict with his brother, he's going to travel this 500 miles to go back home. And, and he's on his way there. But he doesn't know what's going to happen. Last he knows is his twin brother has been plotting to kill him. So he's a little nervous. He's a little worried. And that's kind of where our story picks up. Uh, chapter 32, verse 1. It says, Jacob went on his way. He left his crooked father-in-law. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanheim. Now, this seems a little understated. Like, hey, the angels show up, right? If I'm in my office or something and angels show up, you better believe, like, I'm Instagramming that. I'm putting that on, like, TikTok. Or, like, God's angels show up. But here's just kind of a little footnote. Okay. This isn't the first time he's met some angels, so maybe it's not a big deal. Uh, verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, that's their uh, uncle, and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell you, my lord, in order that I may find favor in your sight. So Jacob, when he left the house, he had nothing but just a stick. Now he's very, very wealthy. He's got a big posse, lots of bling. But we're seeing that Jacob is still a manipulator. 
He's going to send all these messengers and all these gifts ahead of him to try to smooth things over with his very hairy, very manly brother, who last time we saw him wants to kill Jacob. Now, Norse language here. He's calling his brother Lord. All right, I didn't grow up with any brothers. My best friend Dan had three brothers. And I never saw Dan call his brother Lord, right? Uh, so clearly he is scared of his brother, what he's going to do. But he wants to know, he wants his brother to know how rich he is now. He's like, hey, bro, I'm really, really rich, so don't kill me. I'm going to make it worth your while. Verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we came to brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there's 400 men with him. Like, oh, no. Esau's got his whole... A whole army. It's not 400 flower girls. It's 400 men on their way to meet him. And Jacob doesn't know. Is this a welcome party or is this a war party? Right? He's very scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he's going to divide all his property, all his stuff into two groups. He's got 11 sons and one daughter, and he's thinking, well, if Esau attacks one group, then the other might escape. And, and who does he put out front here? Uh, he, he puts all his servants first, and then his, if you're here two, two weeks ago, we learned that Jacob actually married two sisters. One is very, very beautiful, Rachel. Then there's poor Leah, who the Bible says, basically she has a nice personality, and it's a whole thing. So he puts Leah out front, the, the wife he doesn't love as much, and her kids. And then last of all, he puts beautiful Rachel and Rachel's son, Joseph. Like, this is good for beautiful Rachel and Joseph, bad for everybody else, right? Everyone else is just a human shield for his favorite wife and favorite son. Jacob, man, he is not perfect, right? Verse 9, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I become two camps. All right, so we're, we're in this place. When we're wrestling with something, what do we do? Well, right here, start with prayer. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. To start with prayer. Jacob's going to pray, and this is very significant, because there's not a lot of prayer in the book of Genesis. Abraham prayed for his worthless nephew Lot, and Isaac prayed for his barren wife, Rebekah, for 20 years that she would conceive. And we saw Jacob sort of negotiate with God after he saw the stairway to heaven. But what comes next is by far the longest recorded prayer in the book of Genesis. And up until now, God has initiated all the contact with Jacob. But now Jacob is reaching out to God. He's taking this step of faith. Now, some of you, maybe you're not super comfortable praying. But you want to write this down, that prayer takes practice. If you're not comfortable praying out loud, if you're not comfortable praying by yourself or in a group, the only way to get better at it is to do it. Like, like if you're a junior high kid and you're like, I'm not super comfortable praying out loud, you just got to do it. If you've been walking with God for a little while and you're just not comfortable praying out loud, you just got to do it. Prayer takes practice, just like anything else. And Jacob is a guy, he's not accustomed to bringing things to God. He's a manipulator. He's used to deceiving people and making things happen. But finally, he's at this place where he realized he can't do it on his own. He doesn't know what's going to happen with his brother and his army of 400 people, and he needs God's help. Well, how do we pray? Here, here's some things. Number one, acknowledge who God is. That's a great place to start, is acknowledging who God is. Jacob starts off his prayer acknowledging that 
who God is, that he's been faithful. He's been faithful to his grandfather, Abraham. He's been faithful to his father, Isaac. That's a great pattern when you pray. Start with acknowledging who God is, all the ways he's been faithful to you, all the ways he's provided for you. Number two, thank God for his blessings. So acknowledge who God is and thank him. Hey, God, thank you for all these blessings in my life. He's like, God, you know, 20 years ago, I was a 60-year-old single homeless man. I had nothing. All I had was a stick, right? You can find a stick outside. That's all I had. Now I've got all this stuff. I've got, you know, I'm married with 12 kids. I've been blessed with great wealth. I've got an SUV, a swagger wagon, a couple jet skis, a cabin up north, right? He's been greatly blessed. He's like, I'm a blessed man. And before he goes on now to list what he's requesting of God, he's listing all the ways that God has been faithful to him and how he's blessed him. I think this is a great thing for us. Before we go to the ask, start with the blessings. Say, hey, before we say, hey, God, this is what I need. Hey, you know what, God? I just want to stop and thank you for all these things. Again, for a number of years now, uh, every morning, I start with listening to just three things I'm grateful for. Just blessings in my life. And it really helps to cultivate that attitude of gratitude in your life. And so before you go through requests, just start with, hey, God, this is who you are. Man, you're an amazing God. You know what? You've blessed me in all these ways. But then, number three, ask in faith. And it's totally okay to bring your requests to God and ask. He says this in verse 11. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He's saying, hey, God, I need you to deliver me. That's a great prayer to pray that maybe you need to pray. God, I need some help. Deliver me, please. He's also praying, not just for himself, but for his wife, and his kids. Finally, really for the first time, Jacob is thinking of somebody else other than just himself. Jacob is learning how to be a man. He's taking responsibility for the women and the children. See, character and masculinity are built through responsibility. See, to be a man of God is to say, hey, put some responsibility on my shoulders. I can handle this. God, let me carry something. Let me take some responsibility. See, 20 years ago, he had no wife, no kids, no job, no business. He had no one counting on him. But now there's more to Jacob than just Jacob. And that's one of the ways God grows us is by giving us some responsibility, some things that we can take care of. Verse 12, he says, But you said, he's reminding God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob's being honest with God in a very reverential way. He's reminding God, hey, here's what you promised me. Here's what you said you'd do for me. And that's okay to pray God's word back to him, to remind God of his promises to you. Now, Jacob finishes prayers, and does he get like this, you know, vision from heaven? Hey, Jacob, your, your prayer has been submitted. We've got this. We'll take it into consideration. No. He has no clue if his prayers have been heard or not. He's still got Esau coming with 400 men. He's walking into the unknown and unsure of what he's going to face. Again, this is like so many of us, right? we got some situation. We don't know what's going on, and, and we bring it to prayer, but we don't know. Is God hearing us? Is he there? Verse 22. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. Right, this closes Act 1, and now we're getting to Act 2, one of my favorite uh, parts of the Bible, Jacob goes all ultimate fighter, and he wrestles with Jesus. Part two, if you're taking notes, is don't let go. Don't let go. 
So now this, the scene shifts and Jacob's all alone. Community is so essential for transformation and we need each other, but one thing I've learned too, that often God does his best work when you're alone. When we're alone and we've got nobody and we've got nothing and it's just us and Jesus, that's oftentimes when he does the deep work that only he can do. So right now, Jacob, he's got nothing. He's by himself, and he's opening himself up. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man, this is Jesus, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, how many of you, like, this is like your worst nightmare, right? In the middle of the night, you get up to go to the bathroom again, and all of a sudden, this guy, like, karate chops you out of nowhere. He attacks you, and you end up wrestling until the sun comes up. Like, this is is what's going on in this 80-year-old Jacob. Up until now, Jacob really isn't much of a man, but Jesus is going to show up wrestle with them, and turn them into a man. Here's the thing. A lot of times, the presence of God is not like a spa, right? Jesus shows up in a muscle shirt and picks on an 80-year-old man. He's like, come on, Jacob. I'm going to toughen you up a little bit. See, Jesus humbles himself to get on Jacob's level so he can wear Jacob out. Jacob is going to raise 12 sons. Jesus is going to need to toughen him up a little bit. This is what dads do with our boys. With my boys, like, get down on their level. We wrestle. We teach them to use their strength. This is a good thing. That's what Jesus is going to do with Jacob. He's a good, good father. He's wrestling with Jacob. He's teaching them, hey, man up here a little bit. Come on, use your strength. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. So they've been wrestling all night long, and then just in one move, Jesus touches Jacob's hip, and now Jacob has to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. But Jesus does this to show Jacob, hey, man, I could have crushed you at any moment. I just chose one touch, boom, it's all over. But I humbled myself to come down to toughen you up to work on you. Jacob is going to walk with a limp the rest of his life, but he's got his dignity and his masculinity intact. And every time he limps, he remembers, God could have crushed me, but instead he decided to make me a, a man. He loves me, and I'm blessed to be his son. I'd much rather walk with a limp, knowing I've been touched by God, than be able to run and never had a genuine encounter with God. Amen? Verse 26, But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here's the thing. Jacob, he's hurting. He's, you know, got mud all over him. He's a little bloody from this wrestling match. But he's going to say, hey, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Here's the thing. Hold on to God even when it's hurting Jacob's saying, I might be hurting, I might be hobbling, I might be old, but I'm not going to let you go. This is one of those times where I'm not going to let you go. I'm sick of pretending, I'm sick of posing, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is saying, hey, I've been holding on to heels all my life, trying to be blessed, but now I'm holding on to the only one who truly has the power to bless me. He's thinking, I was holding on to Esau when I was born, but now I'm holding on to the one who's so much greater than Esau. The one who knows me and all my junk and is still here with me. And as the sun comes up, I'm, holding, I'm not holding on to status or success or all these other things. I'm just holding on to Jesus. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. What is your name? We've heard this before. Isaac, he wants to bless and give his blessing to the oldest son, Esau. What does Jacob do? He sneaks in. He dresses up like Esau. Jacob asks him, what's your name? And Jacob lies, pretends to be Esau. And Jacob gets blessed as Esau. 
But now it's time for Jacob to get blessed as himself. So finally, he's owning up to who he is. He's like, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver, the heel grabber, the backstabber. I'm Jacob. He's thinking, we're here all alone. I can admit to who I really am. And here's the cool thing. Once Jacob finally loses the need to pretend, once he finally admits who he really is, that's when God gives him a new name and a new identity. Verse 28, then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God's saying, hey, your, your identity is not in your successes, but in your struggles. Aren't you glad God gives us a new name, a new identity? See, for those who are followers of Jesus, God tells us, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, I'll call you righteous, not a sinner. I'll call you holy. I'll call you pure. I'll call you beloved. Jacob gets a name change. He didn't just get a new name, but he got a new identity. See, Jacob meant deceiver or heel grabber. You know what Israel means? Triumphant with God. Jesus is telling them, yeah, you've got a fat lip. You're dirty from resting all night long. You're going to walk with a limp, but now you've got dignity and courage and a new identity. Verse 29, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. Jesus doesn't answer him. How many of you know Jesus doesn't answer a lot of our questions? But see, 20 years ago, Jesus, or Jacob met Jesus here, and he saw this vision to heaven. See, in this moment, Jesus wasn't there to tell Jacob who he was. He was there to tell Jacob who Jacob was. And see, Jacob had met Jesus, but he hadn't met the real Jacob. He hadn't met himself yet. And so God shows him who Jacob really is. And more important, God shows him who Jake, whose Jacob is. So here's the thing. Hold on to God. Whatever it is you're going through, don't let go. Regardless of what Elsa says, don't let go. Number three, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Years from now, Jacob passes away. And then his descendants go into slavery and bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And one of his descendants, Moses, is out with the sheep, and he meets this burning bush. And God, through this burning bush, reveals himself to Moses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and now he's going to say the God of Israel, right? Because that, that's his new name, that's his new identity, the God of Abraham, Isaac, but what does he say? The God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. He says to Moses, I'm the God of Jacob too. I'm the God of that part of you that you don't want to see anymore. I'm not just the God of your victories. I'm also the God of your defeats. He's the God of the hopeless and the skeptic and the desert places. See, when you read the book of Genesis, sometimes they refer to Jacob as Israel and sometimes as Jacob. See, here's the truth that a lot of times I think we aren't honest about, that change is complicated. Amen? Just because I have a new name doesn't mean I don't have some of the same struggles. 
I like having this conversation with high school students. Sometimes they'll give a testimony and be like, God freed me from you know, this, this thing of wanting to have the, you know, uh, the favor and the, the, of other kids and be popular or whatever. And it's like, I'm glad he's done that for you now. Or, or this eating disorder or whatever it might be. But this may be a struggle for the rest of your life. And that's okay. Like God is God of all of it. Sometimes we only want to acknowledge the good stuff. But God is there in the struggles, in the inadequacies. See, God is comfortable in the messiness, amen? He's not intimidated by your inadequacies. See, when we've been touched by God, sometimes we'll walk with a limp, and that means sometimes we're going to stumble. And that's okay. That's what it means to be human. That's why God gives us grace. We're all going to mess up. See, the story of the Bible isn't, hey, be more like Abraham, be more like Jacob, be more like Isaac. It's look at this messed up, broken family that God blessed, that God spoke to, and worked in spite of their inadequacies. And there's only one hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. Amen? And see, when we come to Jesus, he gives us a new name and a new identity, not because of anything we've done, but because what of Christ has done. John 1.12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, when we accept the gift of salvation through Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide. Our guide. The power of Jesus lives in us. But so often, instead of tapping into that, we often stumble and fall into old habits. We allow others to dictate who we are. That's human. That's okay. That's why we need grace. That's why we need each other. When we're burdened by worries, hurts, or problems, we have to keep our focus on the one who truly knows us and loves us and is okay in the messiness and sees both Jacob and Israel inside of us. Both who we were and the promise of who we're going to become. The deceiver and the new nation that Jesus is going to come from. God is God of all of it. And to me, that is good news. You don't, that the walking with Jesus isn't just up and to the right for the rest of your life. It's ups and downs and it's messiness. And that's why we have to come together, remind each other of God's grace, to receive it again and again and say, that's right, you know, I messed up again. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. As we wrap up tonight, what's your next step? Maybe like Jacob, there's something in your life. Maybe something you're wrestling with. Maybe you're scared about something. Hopefully it's not an army of 400 people coming towards you. But what is that one thing that you're wrestling with? I want to encourage you, bring that to Jesus. You know, maybe share that prayer request with someone else. We have a prayer team every morning, at eight, every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Our prayer team gathers and we pray for requests. You can put that on your connection card. You can, uh, on our online, uh, submit a prayer request that way. Let's pray about these things that you need some help with. Number two, what truth do you need to hold on to? Jacob didn't let go even when he was hurting. Maybe there's something you need to hold on to. Hey, I am God's beloved, regardless of what I feel or think. Hey, Jesus, he's called me and he's anointed me and he's given me a new name, a new identity. I need to hold on to that truth. What is that one truth that you're like, man, you know what? I need to hold on to this. I need to put this on a sticky note, put it on my, on my mirror, put it in my car somewhere. What's that truth you need to hold on to? Number three, I would ask, have you made Jesus the leader of your life? Have you been adopted into God's family? 
If not, you can make that decision tonight to say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm going to my trust in a perfect Savior who knows me, who loves me. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he is the Son of God, you will be saved. And we'd love to just help you take your next step on that journey of what does that look like. We have an opportunity to, to say right here, right now, what changes am I going to make that's going to ripple and affect my kids, my nieces, my nephews, my grandkids? See, the end of the story is Esau came with his 400 men, and Jacob doesn't know what's going to happen. And Jacob sent his two maidservants he's had kids with, and then his wife he doesn't love so much, and all of them ahead, and he's only left with his wife Rachel and his favorite son Joseph. And what does Esau do? Esau forgives Jacob, and he hugs him, and says, hey, I forgive you. And they part as brothers and friends. And who's there watching all that happen? As far as we know, only one son. That's Joseph. This fall, we're going to talk about the story of Joseph. But spoiler alert, what happens? These brothers deceive and falsely accuse Joseph and sell him into slavery. And 20 years later, Joseph has the chance to do them harm. And what does he do? He forgives them. He embraces them. And maybe, just maybe, because Joseph saw his uncle forgive his dad, that allowed Joseph to change family patterns in his own life and to forgive his brothers. See, the decisions you make right now to say, hey, I'm holding on to this truth. Hey, I'm praying about this thing. Hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. You don't know how that can ripple on into future generations. We don't know. what it means that the Andersons are fostering these beautiful girls and the ripple effects is going to happen when you volunteer at Cross when you invite someone in your life when you say hey I'm breaking the patterns of alcoholism in my family I'm breaking the pattern of sexual sin in my family hey I'm making a change right now you don't know the effects of what that's going to do would you join me in prayer now God, I thank you for this chance to gather. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the story of Jacob and Esau and what a messed up, broken family. But in spite of all their flaws, God, you're working. And God, we thank you for Jesus, the true hero of all the stories. God, I pray for those in this room, those who are watching, God. I pray for those, God, who are wrestling with something, a decision or something they're fearful of. God, I pray that they would be able to come to you in prayer. God, that, that you would truly answer the prayers and they would know that they could bring anything to you. God, I want to pray for those who are needing to just hold on to something, some truth, uh, something that you've spoken, um, something that someone else ha has spoken over them. God, let us hold on to the right things and then let go of the things we need to let go of. And then, God, I want to pray for those who maybe haven't yet made that decision to follow you. God, I pray that it would just let go of the shame and the baggage and the guilt. 
and step forward in faith to make you their leader and their savior and to know that no sin, no brokenness is too big to receive your grace. So God, as we go out of here, as we, as we, as we, as we ha- hang out and have some fun and some food, God, this week, may we be instruments of your grace. May we be bringers of blessing. God, may you reveal to us how we can break generational patterns, how we can sow seeds into the next generation. God, how we can make a difference. Thank you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.